0: night's thought. Improvisation, like improv theater, seems to get a bad rap. Nobody really seems to like it, even though it's something that we do every day. Yeah, something that I noticed this week... While uh, watching some shows with improv comedy in it, improv theater, and uh, talking to people about improv comedy, people generally don't seem to like it that much. And if you if you do improv comedy, okay, a lot of people do like you. All right, and if you like improv comedy, a lot of people are with you. I'm one of them. I mean, if it's done well, like anything else, if it's done well. And I think when you throw out the term improv, people immediately think comedy, but it's not always comedy. It's, I mean, improv drama sounds awful. <laughs> but improvisation is a it's a theater technique, you know? It's a, it's a technique of preparing for scripted theater. Um, and it's an art form in and of itself. So when people say improvisational theater... What they're really referring to is, uh, you know, the technique and and the uh, and the art form. So a lot of people seem to groan when you say improv's like, oh god, because I think they're thinking of bad improv because it's very, it's a very common thing, of course, you know, to see bad improv. Because good improv is is a is very rare. It's a very rare you know thing to see something like that. I've seen bad improv more than I've seen good improv and, you know, but this week I was, uh, watching a couple of things that had improv th- in it, you know, as like a theme or, or whatever. So I, I was watching on Netflix. There was this, uh, comedy special that came out. It was a three episode deal called a uh, middle ditch and Schwartz. And uh, it's these two guys, and uh, they do long form improv. And uh, if you watch Silicon Valley, the the, the main nerd on that show, uh, Richard Hendricks, the guy's name is Thomas Middleditch. Uh, that's the Middleditch. And then if you watch Parks and Recreation, the guy on that on that show who plays like John Ralphio, uh, you know the the cool hip kid on that show. Uh, that's Ben Schwartz. He he's the so they're Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And little did I know that they uh, have a stage show that they've been doing for years. It's an improvisational stage show, and they'll come out, and people will tell them essentially about something in their lives that they're looking forward to. Like I'm looking forward to going to graduate school, or I'm looking forward to, or I'm dreading a job interview. You know, and uh, I'm looking forward to a wedding. And they'll have, like, about three minutes of back and forth with these people in the audience, and they'll interview them. And then for the next hour, Middle Ditch and Schwartz will just take the stage, and they'll come up with a long-form improv. They'll create completely original characters on the spot in uh, in unique situations that are all inspired by a group of people in the audience. Okay? And when my wife first put this on the other day, because my wife is is very much into theater and uh, she does theater, she doesn't do too much improv. Although her mother is a very well renowned and well regarded uh, improvisational teacher, she has been for years. Ever since you know she went to school in London, and she's been teaching improv for years, and uh, she's based in Savannah, Georgia, and teaches all over the southeast and travels a lot teaching it. She was actually going to travel to Ireland, but uh, of course that got canceled due to uh, COVID. So, like everything else in this world, got canceled due to COVID. So Jessica wanted to put it on because she is has this interest in improv, and I was like, oh God, I you know I I don't know if I could stand there and watch people make stuff up for an hour. But I was like, hey, it's on Netflix. It must be good. So. <laughs> uh, just like everything on Netflix, until you find out that it's bad, and Netflix just buys stuff without thinking about it. But this was good. We watched all three episodes in one night. It was about a, a three-hour-long uh, affair with a show called Middle Ditch and Schwartz, watching these guys create scenes and characters, and, and all of it's imp- inspired by just a three-minute back-and-forth with a group of people in the audience, and I thought that was really interesting. They did a good job. You should check it out. Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix. And then we watched this uh, other show called, uh, well, I guess it was a movie called "Don't Think Twice." And this is actually the second time we've seen this show or movie. And and this this is a, a narrative film. It's not improvised, but it's about a group of improvisational theater actors in New York City, which, of course, sounds like the most the worst thing ever because. You're watching a bunch of people, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in theater, but when I was in college, I was constantly in the theater department. I had a lot of friends in the theater department and I would go to theater parties. And, and while I met a lot of people there who I still know to this day and who are really dear friends, I just said dear friends, uh, theater people tend to be very self-serving. You know, they're always on stage. Uh, even when they're not on stage, uh, they they always have to perform. They always have to be over the top, and and uh, that's nice in small doses. And you would never ever want to intentionally, you know, go into a situation like that unless you're you know invited or you're trying to be nice. So, this movie about uh, improv actors in New York called Don't Think Twice is actually very good. Uh, because it's about these people who treat improvisation as you know an an end game. They treat it as the final product, and I think that that kind of goes counterintuitive to a lot of improv actors because a lot of improv actors tend to think of you know improvisation, like specifically improvisational comedy. Is something like a a stepping stone that gets them to something else. Like a lot of people on Saturday Night Live, you know, which is a scripted show, ended up doing or began doing uh, Second City, and they in Chicago, and they did the Groundlings in Los Angeles, and uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. And it's never an end game; it's always a means to an end. Improv, but. This is a movie about people who just love improv. They love being in the moment. They love creating these moments that are here right now and then they're going to be gone tomorrow. And so I was thinking a lot about this this week after seeing these two improv shows about why people s- seem to not really I wouldn't say like just outright detest improv, but they're they're really prone to not like it. If they're going to go see a theater, they want to go see a scripted show, or they want to sit down and, you know, they want to watch a scripted television series or a reality television series that's probably more scripted than most scripted reality or, you know, television shows. They want to watch a movie or read a book or listen to music. They don't want to, you know, watch people just try to come up with stuff on the spot. And I think it's just because they're nervous about watching improv actors who start out with no information. They have absolutely no idea what they're going to be doing once they get on the stage. So there's kind of this collective tension. But I've been to some improv shows and and there's always that moment when the first joke lands successfully and it gets a huge laugh from the audience and this tension is released. But most people will never get to that because they're, they're just afraid of that moment, that uncertain moment where the room is silent and the actors are standing on stage and they just, nobody in the room knows what's going to happen next. So I think that's why people are very hesitant to enjoy improv. And it's interesting to me, you know, because we live in a world right now where we, we, we strive to kind of document everything that happens to us every moment of the day. Um, because we we want to capture these little moments that will just be right here happening in the moment, and we want to capture them and put them in there forever, you know, put them in that little box in our pocket called our phone, whereas improv kind of embraces this idea that no, these moments are here, and then they're going to be gone they're they're fleeting this lightning is striking. And it's never going to strike that same place ever again. I think, again, people just don't like that idea. They they want uh, things recorded for posterity. They always want to look back at them. So, you know, again, I think improv seems to get a bad rap, but, you know, we improvise every single day. I think it's just a little bit too much reality for us. <laughs> that That may be why. I don't know. Well, from Birmingham, Alabama, on a Saturday night. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Booty. Nice to have you here tonight. So, yes, here in the Midnight Citizen Studio, and uh, it's a beautiful night outside. It's very been rainy. Been a rainy week. Talking about lightning strike striking. We actually uh, have lightning strike out right outside this very Midnight Citizen studio window the other night. Yeah, I'm not kidding. You know, like, have you ever been in the eye of the storm? It's basically when thunder and lightning both happen at the exact same moment. And there was just this brilliant flash of light outside, and we just... You know? It was so loud. And... We went outside later. It turns out that lightning actually struck this tree right outside my house here. You could see the line going right up and down the tree. And, uh, a huge chunk of that tree, this oak that had probably been standing here since, uh, you know, God made it, uh, fell down on the power lines and actually fell down on the very spot where my wife parks her car every single day, um... My wife, I mean, our our car could have been destroyed, and my wife, thank God, she wasn't in it, could have been gone as well. Uh, that was a scary moment, one of those moments that humbles you before nature, uh, totally. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not been a very, it's been an indoor weekend here here in Birmingham, is what I'll say. Yeah, so that thunder, lightning, all that, it's been scary. Anyway, so yeah, we are live tonight from the Midnight Citizen studio. I am live streaming right now on YouTube. Welcome in if you're watching live here at 1130 on July 25th, 2020. Of course, you can always watch these live streams later. They are recorded for posterity. This is an improvised mostly show. I go off of a loose set of notes. But uh, but I do not embrace that idea that you know this is here now and gone tomorrow. No, this will be here forevermore as long as YouTube survives. Uh, and uh, keeps me up and hopefully doesn't notice little bits of copyrighted music I play here and there. But yeah, we are there. So yeah, you could also interact with me live right now if you go to my uh, YouTube channel youtube.com/ slash Mike booty you can go on there and interact with me live and I'll uh, read comments definitely. I won't read comments in the middle of my show because I'm you know doing a show but uh, during breaks that I will take tonight uh, I will certainly look and see what you guys say. So yeah we've got a lot of fun stuff tonight we've got music we got videos we got um, well we got one guy over-caffeinated and uh, talking about his life. So, yeah. Stick around. So. Yeah, I never did improv improv theater. Scares me, the idea of, you know, getting up on a stage and uh, with no script... It, it scares me getting on stage with a script. I mean, I'm not a theater guy at all. You know, getting up in front of people and performing for them. I know you can argue that's what I'm doing right now. Um, with the uh, with the show being live and everything, and even with people listening to me in the future. You know they they are making no doubt making judgments of me right now, and uh, it's a it's a chilling feeling. It really is, but. You know, again, I, I think if it's something you want to do enough, you know, you're, you're open to the concept. You're open to the idea of it, you know. But in, improvisational theater has been a long, around almost as long as theater itself. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's a technique and it's an art form. The idea is that you get up there and you just let go. You let go of all of your inhibitions and all of your fears. And um, somebody gives you a prompt. Like, um, you know, like somebody may say, you're a grave digger, you know? So you start digging that grave and, and then you got to say something, (laughs) right? And, uh, and then you just kind of create this reality in the moment on the stage. And anybody who's on the stage with you has to accept that reality and they have to add to it. It's called yes. Anding, you know, yes. And yes. And, and of course, you know, back in the day when I, uh, Took theater as an elective um, in uh, in college when I was a freshman in college. We had to do improv, and uh, it shook me to the core because the the last thing you want to do when you're you know sitting in a new class where you don't know anybody on the first day is get up and make an ass out of yourself. But that's what improv made you do, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, from that very first day, I was always opposed to the idea of it. But, uh, you know, here we are though, improv theater carrying out the tradition, you know, it's been going on since the, uh, apparently the fourth century AD, you know, they used to do it in Italian street theater in the 18th and 19th centuries, but American improvisational theater, as we think of it today, uh, comes really from Chicago. And and I remember back in the day, back, back in 2007, uh, when i went to chicago a couple of times that year i made it a point to go to the second city uh both times that year because the second city is kind of like ground zero for uh improvisational comedy especially uh all of those great talents who went on to saturday night live who we now you know lionize as the uh, geniuses of comedy uh in the second half of the 20th century which is really like you know the I mean, anybody, you know, there, as far as a lot of us are concerned, there was no comedy before Saturday Night Live. I mean, in terms of like, you know, the comedy universe, um, and I know that a lot of old time radio people are getting really angry at me right now because old time radio, you know, with your Vic and Sade and your Amos and Andy, uh, you know, that, that was all very important as well, you know, but Comedy didn't really get going um, for, you know, my generation, of course, until Saturday Night Live. And uh, we grew up, like, people my age grew up watching, of course, like Chris Farley and Adam Sandler. And uh, all those guys, that frat, you know, that frat pack group of guys there on Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. But, of course, we also know Chevy Chase and Dane Aykroyd, you know, and Bill Murray and all those guys. Uh, John Belushi, of course. Um, So, you know, all of those guys started in Chicago before they came to New York and they did National Lampoon. And then they got Saturday Night Live. But all those guys came from this place in Chicago called the Second City that was started in the 1960s by people like uh, Paul Sills. And Paul Sills had been the son of Viola Spallin who kind of... Uh, modernized uh, improvisational theater as a way to loosen up actors and find and have them find characters organically and naturally rather than through research um, and the method. Right. So Viola Spolin is somebody who taught improvisational theater and created this whole school of thought of improv. Um, that was basically a short form based on games Uh, This is like your who's line is it anyway stuff, you know, where people are given uh, suggestions from the audience uh, or they pull out ideas from a hat and then they have to, you know, kind of re interact with that with that. And so these are more like games. You know, these are things that you might play in like an office setting in order to loosen people up and get everybody to know each other. You know, improvisational theater is apparently really big in the modern offices of today as, like, ice-breaking techniques, you know. But, yeah, that's what my mother-in-law does. My mother-in-law teaches uh, Spallin-based uh, improv to, uh, to theater actors, you know, to get them to find their space and loosen up a little bit in front of people, you know. And uh, I've gone and taken her class, and my mom has even gone, and, uh, and my sister and they they've gone and taken their classes because even though they don't do theater they're teachers and you know teachers are constantly on their feet having to improvise and adapt to uh, new realities that their te- that their uh, students create right so yeah in uh that that happened in the 1960s in the second city in chicago was they created this uh you know form of improv that went back to Viola Spolin and then People like Del Close uh, created this thing called the Herald. And the Herald is like this kind of long-form improv. This is what Middle Ditch and Schwartz did on that on that Netflix show I was talking to you a few minutes ago about. Middle Ditch and Schwartz did this, uh, or uh, the, the Herald is this idea that you create this, you know, uh, this story that may span for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe even an hour or two, which would be brutal. But you take a very small sliver of information there at the very beginning. And then you create characters and you create themes and you're constantly coming back to those characters and themes. And, uh, you use that to build an entire story, which again, I think kind of scares a lot of people because they would rather see, you know, something that's scripted and well thought out. But I think like really good improv, you know, improvisers can create, a world that's just as natural and just as alive uh, as anything that a playwright can create over months and months and months and drafts and drafts and drafts, you know? So, so that's, that's the Herald and the Herald I don't think is really even used that much anymore when people think about improvisational theater. That's why I was so surprised to see the show on Netflix because it's just the idea of sitting there and watching people just come up with stuff on the spot Never breaking away from that story for you know a very long time is kind of off-putting. So, you know. but yeah, no, I mean, when I was uh, growing up, though, uh, whose line is it anyway? Was one of my favorite shows on uh, Comedy Central. They used to show at the uh, the British show with that you know old British guy who would sit there and he would you know give suggestions to like four improvisers uh, on stage. Like uh, Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery. And I just thought it was like the funniest stuff in the world. And just, but I had no idea until later on when I found out about The Second City that no, this is actually an entire, you know, art form. It's not just people making funny faces uh, on the, you know, at the spur of the moment. There's really a lot of art that goes into this. And, um, you know, it's something that embraces that idea that, you know, life is unpredictable, life is uh, made up. You know, on the spot. So. So. Why am I talking about all this tonight? Well, the, the thing is, is that I can't talk about improv at all without remembering the time that I did do improv. I didn't just... Do improv with uh, you know with some class or anything like that. I actually took an improv class with the Second City, you know the 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 ground zero of improvisational theater. Something that anybody who knows anything about comedy lionizes. You know the Second City in Chicago, but I didn't go to I didn't go to Chicago. They actually came to me. So this was back in 2002 in the fall. And I had joined a sketch comedy group here in Birmingham. They were called uh, Happy Nowhere as a writer and uh, did not want to get on stage, didn't want to perform at all. But obviously as a 19-year-old kid who had just graduated high school and was in college and in a sketch comedy group that, uh, you know, we had sold out our first show. We nearly sold out our second show. I, I, I really thought that we were, you know, something, and and we were. We were good. You know, we had good sketches. I mean, give me like you know an hour or so back in those days, and I, I could sit down and write two or three sketches. You know, and it was almost like improvising. I, I was just using a pen and my mind rather than just getting up on stage and doing it. You know, with my body, right? So when the second city uh, came through. I I was really nerding out over them because that was the time that I was starting to really get into comedy, you know? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was very much into Saturday Night Live at the time. I would come home every single day between classes and, uh, I would get a pizza (laughs) and, uh, and a Coke and, uh, totally be unhealthy. And I would sit down and, uh, Comedy Central would always air reruns of The Kids in the Hall, you know, the uh, Canadian sketch show. And uh, I was getting into Mr. Show in the state and all these sketch comedy shows. And just really, while I was watching stand-up comedy every Friday night. Um, When it would come on Comedy Central, they would do these big blocks of stand-up comedy. So I was really just uh, living, breathing, and, and working comedy back then. And it was just my, my obsession. You know, one of these things that you just find out suddenly that you're obsessed with. And you've got all these friends who are obsessed with it, too. So when the second city came through Birmingham, they were going to do a show. They had a touring company, and they were going to do a show. And um, we got tickets to go see that show, my, my sketch comedy friends and I. And we also found out that not only were they going to do a show, they were actually going to host a sample workshop you know, earlier that day at the theater where they were doing the show. And it was like tickets, it was like $40 to do the show. And and I was floored at this price because, you know, you could travel up to Chicago and anybody can go in and take, you know, lessons with the second city. And if you're good enough, you might actually even be able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, get cast in their shows. Right. Uh, but, I was for because they were coming down to me. They were saying like you could take this class as well. So of course we signed up for the class. I didn't I wasn't even thinking about the fact that I was going to be humiliated in front of these improv professionals, you know. But anyway, there I was, you know, the first thing they did is we got on stage, they made us stand in a circle and every time somebody pointed to us, we had to make like a weird sound and movement with our body. Um, and, uh, you know, it was all incredibly fun. Everybody was in good spirits and there were a lot of people from my sketch comedy group there. There were all these, also these other people that I knew from an actual improv, uh, theater, uh, an improv company here in town that I won't say that our sketch comedy group was competing with them, but you know, that was also, I think that was kind of the mindset between certain members of both groups. It's been long enough. I think I can tell this. You know, I think I can air this dirty laundry. Uh, we, uh, some of us, didn't like each other, and I may have been like the new kid on the block who just kind of went with the herd. Like ah, yeah, you know, we were kind of like the sharks and the jets of Birmingham Comedy Theater. So. So we were there, but we weren't trying to outshine each other. And, you know, that's the thing I think a lot of people don't like about improv is because they kind of think of it as like people getting on stage and trying to get, you know, laughs over everybody else on stage and trying to outshine each other. But I think it was all in good spirits. I think we were all we were all doing pretty well there. You know, so, uh, you know, I don't know when I when I get this idea of of improv, of what an improv class looks like. You know, I I think now I think there's, there's this old episode of the office. If you watch that show or Steve Carell on that show, you know, he plays the unlikable boss, uh, who's always doing cringeworthy things. There's an episode where he goes to an improv class because he's one of these guys who just wants to get up there and, uh, you know, perform, you know, kind of exactly the opposite of what I wanted to do. I did not want to get up and perform at all. Uh, I was just doing it because my friends were doing it, and the Second City. This is like—I I, I guess I was seeing it at the time. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take classes with the Second City. You know? But in every town, though, there is—you uh, know—an improv class that you can go and take. Uh, you just got to pay your dues every week. You know, so there's this episode of The Office where Michael Scott goes to one of these improv classes. You know, and so. Every time he comes out to do an improv scene, he's constantly pulling out a gun, you know? He's not yes-anding people. Everybody else is creating these realities, like somebody on the show is a fortune teller or somebody is on the show is like a doctor, and he's constantly pretending to break down a door and hold a gun out in front of him with his fingers and say, "Freeze, I'm Detective Michael Scott," you know? And he's constantly saying that because he believes on the show and his character says on the show uh, that the most exciting thing that can happen in life is that somebody has a gun. So that's why I always come out with a gun in my improv scenes because nobody can top a gun, nobody can beat a gun. You know, it's too exciting, which is going against the complete idea of improv, you know. You're supposed to accept the reality of other people's uh characters. And you're not supposed to try and top them. You're supposed to meet them and then add on to the scene, you know. So, that's typically what I think about when I think of an improv class. But this improv class that I took with the Second City, this was not like it. Everybody was feeding off each other and doing pretty well. And the other day when my wife and I were watching this Middle Ditch and Schwartz show and then that Don't Think Twice movie, you know... Uh, I was telling her about this time that I took classes with the Second City, and she was just like, "What? what, what why didn't you ever tell me this before?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I didn't think it was a big deal." And she's like, "Of course it's a big deal. Like, do you know how big they are?" And I'm like, "Of course I know how big they are. You know, Chris Farley, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, all those guys, right?" Um, I knew how big the Second City was, and she was like, "Well, what did? Tell me about it. What'd you do?" And I was like, oh, "I don't even remember." And, uh, we just went on with our night and made dinner and all that. And, uh, I'm here to tell you right now that that's actually a lie. Uh, I, I, I remember exactly what happened during that second city class. And, uh, I'm about to tell you the reason why I didn't tell her about it. Yeah, I've got to get some of that smooth jazz going. (laughs) So why didn't I tell my wife about it? Well, Okay. So I'm doing this scene up there uh, with uh, somebody else in the class who's actually in the, I won't say competing improv troupe, but the other improv troupe that some members of our sketch comedy group and some members of their improv troupe thought were fighting and competitive, right? And so there's a little bit of pressure on me to be good. You know, to show this competing improv troupe in Birmingham. Uh, By the way, for the record, their name was uh, Torrential Downplay. Uh, What we were all about, you know, what what we were all about, what our sketch group, Happy Nowhere, was all about, and that we were better. And uh, I think that I felt, I was feeling a little bit of pressure here, you know. And maybe that was just me, but I was feeling that I I had to perform better, right? So I was going against the spirit of improv. I was going against the spirit of yes-anding, as they had told us to do, right? All right, so the scene opens, and this very nice lady who's part of the uh, improv troupe, you know, her name's Debbie, she comes out on the uh, stage. And uh, Debbie is a doctor. Debbie's playing a doctor, and, uh, you know, she's saying, like, you know your your wife uh, everything went well with your wife uh, the delivery went very well it's a very nice uh, healthy baby he does have two heads okay and this got a laugh from the audience and all that so i'm i'm sitting there or i'm standing there on the stage and i'm like okay so she just said that she gave birth to a baby so i'm a husband and i'm con- i'm a concerned husband waiting there uh, in the waiting room So obviously I'm very nervous. So I start pacing back and forth and I think my instincts are pretty good there. And I said, well, man, okay. So that baby, um, so you're, you're saying it has two heads and she said, yes. Um, and the baby also can talk and it says, where's my daddy. So I'm standing there and being like, okay, she just gave me something else, a new reality. I have to you know, I'm, I, I, I'm now the father of a two-headed talking baby. okay, fine. Um, so uh, what I did at that point is I said, "Well, you know, nurse, I just don't know if I can deal with that." And at that moment, I pretended as if I reached into my pocket and I came out with my hands formed into an L pattern, and I pretended to hand that L to Debbie, and I said, "Here, just shoot the baby." It's not really good. Shoot the baby music. I don't need Clint Eastwood playing the piano here. Now, (laughs) let's get some mean old music here. There we go. So there was dead air in the audience, in the house. And I remember looking in the back of the house, you know, if I was on the stage during an actual show, there would be lights. I wouldn't be able to see further than about a, you know, a row or two back into the audience, but I could see people way in the back there. Um, you know, the house was empty except for the improv group and, you know, some of the waiters getting ready for that night's show. And I think I even heard some of the waiters just stopping their tracks and some like glasses clinking on their trays. (laughs) Just all eyes were on me. It was like I had two heads, right? And uh, they all wanted to shoot me with an L-shaped finger, and it was bad. So Michael Scott was indeed right. Nobody could actually top my gun. (laughs) Oh, I tell you what, you know, so... Oh, boy. This whole story turned out to be longer than I thought. But, uh, you know, again, this show is improvisation. So I'm saying yes to the mistakes. um, And I'm hoping I'm accepting the reality. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Hope you're enjoying the show tonight. I'm going to take a break for a minute, play some music for you, and we will be back. Stick around. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. God damn, we're back. <laughs> Hope you enjoy that music break there. Yeah, that's some great music. After all, I'm not sure how to say the name of that first song without making. like without saying a bad word (laughs) we're just going to say it's another name for wanting to uh, date the dead Okay, by Dr. Frankenstein from the album The Cursed Tapes it's a great song not a family friendly name but it's a good song (laughs) and after that the one that you just heard was Evil Itch by the Space Merchants Uh, that was from uh, they were live at WFMU I'll remind you that, uh, of course, as always, all the music that I play um, on this show, uh, the music breaks anyway, uh, is from the freemusicarchive.org uh, that is run by uh, WFMU, that great independent station in New Jersey. They're up there. So uh, yeah, you can uh, find the Free music Archive uh, on the freemusicarchive.org and uh if you're doing a show like a podcast or a movie or anything like that you can use all that music totally free uh, as long as you attribute it properly per the creative commons license which i just did okay and i will do in the show notes so yeah uh check it out it's a great resource i've been using it for years So, welcome back into the Midnight Citizen studio. And I got a little bit of scotch here, some j and scotch. And, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, I would uh, toast it to uh, having a good show on a nice night. Uh, but tonight is going to be sort of a sad toast. But, eh, not so much, because we are going to, you know, briefly remember the uh, long and storied career of broadcaster uh, Regis Philbin, legendary titan of broadcasting um, in the 20th century, uh, who passed away today at the age of 88 from natural causes. And uh, we've lost a lot of good ones lately. We lost uh, Carl Reiner, another legendary broadcaster. Uh, I also got word that we lost uh, John Saxon, uh, star of Nightmare on Elm Street and Enter the Dragon. You know? legendary character actor so uh, you know we've lost a lot of good a lot of good talent as as happens you know it seems like every single day you're waking up to you know somebody died um and uh you know the best thing you can do is remember their lives and give them a little bit of a toast a nice little you know alcoholic send-off um you know but regis philbin uh, today uh, when i found out that he passed away my friend sent me a text message and and uh, he's the one that I always hear it from first, you know, Jason. Always tells me when somebody passes away, a celebrity. Um, you know, everybody, I think, has that friend. <laughs> so Jason is mine. Uh, but, you know, Regis kind of uh, stu- struck me today, because Regis is one of those guys, almost like, you know, I don't know, like Bob Costas or somebody, who just you just expect... He's, he just does, isn't really like a human, you know? He's like a superhuman. Or if he's not a superhuman, he's like a robotic ball of energy. Uh, just somebody who has been around forever, who you just don't really think about as, like, one of us, as, like a, as a mere mortal. Uh, you know, that was, uh, that's Regis them for you. Um, you know, he's been around since the 1960s uh, on television. Uh, which I know is not that long in the grand scheme of things, but it's definitely long enough for me. Uh, I was born in 82. So, you know, Regis Philbin though, the, the, the thing that I think I I remember him most for, especially here in the summer is uh, he was the, the host of uh, live with Regis and Kathy Lee uh, back in, uh, back in the 1990s. And, uh, you know, during the summer, that was the show that my sisters and I would watch. We couldn't agree on anything, at all on television ever except two shows in the history of television okay you go to like the national archive of television and broadcasting okay they're in uh, new york and uh there there are uh, out of all the millions of television shows all of the hours that have been produced since television uh was invented okay there are only two shows in that entire archive that my sisters and I agreed on, and that was uh, The Price Is Right, and it was Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Okay, so The Price Is Right only because it came on after Live with Re- Regis and Kathy Lee. You know, but yeah, yeah, uh, Regis and and Kathie Lee, you know, would would have this morning talk show, and they were often parodied you know, on Saturday Night Live with the uh, Morning Latte sketch with uh, Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry. Uh, but yeah, Regis and Kathy Lee would uh, come on and they would have their coffee and uh, they would drink out of these gigantic mugs, you know, and uh, it was always like Reg- Regis was always like, it's great, it's great, I can't get enough of it, you know, he would just be like this over-caffeinated ball of energy, just insane, like you would watch this guy and you're like, man, you know, where does this guy get this energy? I'm like 11 years old watching this and I want to go to bed. Uh <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the, the roles reversed. I'm supposed to be the hyperactive child, you know, and, uh, Kathy Lee would sit there and, uh, you know, and she would always have on these like very trendy nineties, uh, slip dresses, uh, with these boots and all that. I mean, I, I guess the way I'm describing Kathy Lee, yeah, I did have an 11 year old crush on her, Kathy Lee Gifford, you know, who was this, uh, graduate of the, um, was she a graduate of uh, that Mormon school. Was she a Mormon? No, she wasn't a Mormon. She was one of those Oral Roberts Christians. Yeah, so she was. Uh, she got her start uh, in all the in like these uh, Christian choirs that would tour the country in the seventies, and that's and then I and then I think she married a uh, Frank Gifford, the uh, football player and also a a broadcaster himself. I'm, I'm like digressing. I'm supposed to be talking about Regis here, but you know, Kathy Lee would always sit there and she would drink her coffee in her slip dresses and her boots and her you know hair that you know just flowed like sunshine and uh she would talk about cody you know her son cody like you know let me tell you what cody did today and just would be like it's great it's great i can't believe it you know and it would just be like this over and over yeah every single day every single show was the same and then they would interview like uh i don't know modern celebrities in the 1990s like they would I don't know, interview Ellen DeGeneres or who else in the 90s? You know, Brett Butler from Grace Under Fire. Tell us about this new show, Grace, and she's on fire. What is it? <laughs> so it'd it just be this insane, you know, very often parodied. Of course, my favorite bit ever on Live with Regis and Kathy was actually not on that show at all, but it was when uh, Kramer on Seinfeld uh, went on it. There was this uh, episode of Seinfeld. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, Kramer on, live, yeah, it's the first thing that pops up. Yeah, it's a very famous bit. So, like, on this bit, you know, Kramer wrote this coffee table book about coffee tables, okay? So he goes on, his agent has him go on live with Regis, Cat, Regis and Kathy to promote it, you know, so here it is right here. So maybe he's going to do some of his, like, it's great, it's great, this guy, ooh, you know, so anyway. Yeah, here we go. Can I bring out our next please. guest now? please. Young guy, he's got a new
1: book coming out, and it's about—and this is the best part. I love. It's this. a coffee table book about coffee tables. Yeah.
2: Is that, that clever? That, well, I think that, nice. that is so clever. Yeah, I think so too. Did you get to meet him backstage? I did. I mean, I he looks like a fun room. guy, doesn't he? I, I love his hair.
1: Yeah. Oh, I do too. This guy could be a little Boncos, really. Anyway, <laughs> you. if you will, would you please welcome Kramer?
0: Gives Kathy Lee like a big wet kiss. <laughs> oh, I don't
1: know. Yes. Right. So, coffee table book oh. about coffee tables. Yeah. Where'd you come up with this idea? Uh, well,
3: uh, I'll tell you, uh, Regis. Uh, actually, this is a true story. I, uh, I was skiing at the time.
1: You know, when I'm skiing, yeah. Kramer, I'm trying not to kill myself. <laughs> You're writing
3: books. Yeah. Well, now you kids don't go out and try that. <laughs> you stay in school.
2: You always had an interest in coffee tables because it, really I I love coffee tables oh. and I and I thought I was the only one.
3: See, the beauty of my book is if you don't have a coffee table, it turns into a coffee table. <laughs> is
2: that oh, Look at this. Is that fabulous? Fabulous! I want one
3: here. Did I tell you this guy was Bunko's? <laughs>
2: This coffee table is full of pictures of celebrities' coffee tables. That's true. Hmm. That's right.
1: Yeah? Well, I'm not in there. Where's mine? Oh, it's on file right here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, this guy's bonkers. He really is. But he's adorable. adorable. Yeah, he is. He's a nice-looking guy.
2: (laughs) And
0: then he throws up all over her dress. So, Kathy Lee's dress, yeah. So, uh... Just classic, and, and I was able to watch that episode of Seinfeld. and I knew exactly what they were talking about at the uh, at the time there. So, yeah, that was uh, that that was that was Regis Philbin, and you know, d- yeah, during that break, yeah, during that bit, you know, he was just like, "This guy's bonkos, I'm trying not to kill myself. You're writing books, you know. He would always have that punch to him. So anyway, and uh, and and then just as Regis was starting to kind of fade from relevancy um, in the late '90s, a little cultural touchstone came along called um called who wants to be a millionaire all right so this was a big show um that that uh just it's like there are these rare moments especially like in the late 90s and early 2000s of uh where where game shows were making a comeback you know like deal or no deal and, and stuff like that and i think they're kind of starting to see a bit of a resurgence now but uh, this was really just a, a show that came out of nowhere that just uh, Regis Philbin hosted, and um, the the next day I, I was a junior in high school and I went to I went to school and like everybody was talking about this this guy who had won a million dollars and uh, I guess it was a lot of money for a game show. Um, but you know, you think you see these people on game shows—they win a lot of money. You you think like, okay, whatever, like a hundred thousand dollars might as well be a million dollars to me. I mean, you know, so you don't really think of it as a as a huge sum of money for a game show. These these shows that are supposed to be giving tons of money away. But this guy named John Carpenter had won like a million dollars, and he was the first person on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire to do it. And it was kind of great television, and it, it, it was like this ratings bonanza. All of a sudden, like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire went from being on once a week to suddenly it was like a four-night-a-week show. It was like every single night was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Regis Philbin, You know, and he would sit there in this uh, very black, kind of futuristic-looking soundstage uh, with an audience behind him and the, the some, you know, schmuck from Middle America or whatever <laughs> across the table from him and they would uh ask him like a series of 10 questions and each question would be worth uh, an exponentially larger amount of money and uh, eventually he would get to the million dollars but of course every question got a lot harder and uh you know it created these catchphrases i mean uh, catchphrases uh, are not really a thing anymore. I guess now that you have more like hashtags and memes and things. But, uh, you know, we used to have these catchphrases that would come out in movies. Like, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. Or, or we would have, uh, show me the money, you know, and all that. Which I know Cuba Gooding Jr. wouldn't be proud of the way I just said, show me the money. But there it is. I mean, um, so, uh, you know, but... Uh, the The catchphrases that would come off the show, you know, so you had like, I want to phone a friend. Everybody was suddenly saying like, if they got a question that they couldn't quite answer in the moment, they would always say, uh, I want to phone a friend or I'd like to go to the audience for 50, 50, you know, so they would cut off 50, you know, two of the answers, two of the four multiple choice answers, or they would say like, I want to pull the audience, you know, so like the audience would, uh, you know, be polled on what they thought was the right answer. So, Um, so it would just create these catchphrases that suddenly everybody in the world was using. And of course the big one is that your final answer, you know, that was, that was my Regis, you know, which I I think he would be more disappointed, um, up there on his cloud with his halo and his harp, you know, if he heard me do that imitation of his voice. But so that was, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Um, and it was a, a really big show and I think it. I don't know if it still comes on. But he did the first iteration of that show, and it made him uh, a, an incredibly relevant celebrity there for about two or three years. Um, in the years before American Idol came along, and you know, reality television hasn't really been the same since. So, uh, but yeah, Regis Philbin is just—he was a, is a just an icon um, of television in my lifetime, and he died today at 88 years old. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink a little bit of a toast here, and if you're uh, drinking whiskey. Um, or anything at home anything of the like uh, raise your glasses and we'll do a toast to uh, to Regis Philman here um, along with some, some nice slow driving blues music here's to you sir it was your final answer I didn't want to drink all that in one go, even though I know that's what you're supposed to do when you drink a toast, you're supposed to shoot it. But, uh, at least that's what I've always been told. <laughs> uh, cause I've still got more show to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, here we are now we're at the, uh, we're, we're at the end of July and going into early August. And, uh, You know, I've been doing uh, Midnight Citizen shows all all summer long. I think this is my eighth show of the summer that I've done since late May. And um, I'm going to be starting school in a couple of weeks, you know. Uh, I'm having to go into school a little bit more each week to uh, get ready to... Because even though this has been a bummer summer of 2020, and uh, nobody... Everybody's depressed and everybody's at home and, you know, we're not quite quarantining anymore, but we're definitely not over this pandemic. Um, you know, we're still going back to school in a couple of weeks. Um, we, we are, we're, we had to go back and all the teachers are working hard to socially distance all their kids and um, just put hand sanitizers everywhere. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite a job, but it's just uh, we, we got to recognize the fact that uh, we're going to be living with this for a long time. And so we need to continue to get on with our daily lives, right? And just make the best of it and try not to make each other sick and do what we can, right? So it's been a very grim time, but I think society is coming along quite well together um, at the moment. Um, a few weeks ago, you would go outside. Even though people have been recommending, doctors have been recommending, Fauci have been recommending for months for people to wear masks, people are finally taking this thing seriously. And um, the stores are as well. I got to tell you, a few weeks ago, I went into uh, the Piggly Wiggly down the street here to get some groceries. And um, I I forgot my mask at home. So, you know, I covered. I covered my mouth up and just went inside and uh, pretty soon I realized I didn't even have to do that. You know, there were a lot of people in there without masks. And uh, this week I did the same thing. I woke up early one day, realized we were out of milk. So I had to go down to the pig again. And because I was half tired and hadn't had my coffee yet, um, I forgot my mask. So I walked in the pig and I tried to do the same thing, cover my mouth up. I went in, somebody stopped me they're like, sir, you gotta you gotta put a mask on. I was like, I forgot it. Can I just come in and get one thing really quickly? And they were like, No, no. But I'll tell you what I can do, they said. I, I can get you a mask. So they went behind the counter and they got me a mask. And I thought that was incredibly nice. You know, they were uh I think like people are just doing what they can to help people, you know, wear masks and socially distance and, and everything. And I, I think it's been a very tough year, but uh and I hate to sound like one of those cheery inspirational commercials that you see now while you're just trying to relax in front of the television and forget about this pandemic and quarantine and all that. Uh, I think that people are coming together as a society in a way that I haven't seen since maybe, I don't know, the weeks following 9-11. I think think we are doing a pretty good job of it right now. So anyway. (laughs) So... So yeah, here we are though in the final weeks of uh, of summer, of summer vacation. You know, I know summer isn't officially over until like mid September or something like that, but to me it's the end of summer. You know, just like the middle of May is the beginning of summer. Um, you know, school's going back, and during the summer I, I always feel, and I've been saying this for you know ever since I started teaching, I always have this uh, tendency to revert back to what I was like when I was in high school and I had summer because once you leave high school, uh, summer vacation kind of goes away. Um, this idea of being out of school and being free of responsibility for three months, uh, it just goes away because in in college, it never happened where I had a summer free. I was always working or I was attending summer classes and sessions and, and all that. So when I, when I suddenly got a teaching job a few years ago, uh, You know, school ended in May, and I'm like, okay, well, here I am. What am I supposed to do now, right? And even though as an adult, you know, you have a fun work has a funny way of finding you. You end up with things to do as as an adult uh, with a summer break, but uh, like teaching summer camp and tutoring and all that. But nevertheless, I I still find myself um, during summer reverting. To my childhood, to 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 being a teenager, I guess you could say, and just wanting to slack all day, you know, sit around, watch movies, uh, just drive around with nowhere in particular to go, and it's this amazingly uh, free feeling that I get there in the summertime. You know? And what usually ends up happening is I I kind of want to watch when I sit down to watch movies. I want to watch movies that, uh, reinforce that idea of being, uh, of meandering and being a slacker. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a show about that movie slacker, uh, that Richard Linklater movie about these people in Austin, Texas who just don't have anything else to do all day, but just go around to bars and bother people and just talk philosophy and life and all that stuff. You know, um, but I always have the soft spot in my heart during the summertime to watch movies about cool guys, you know, just like cool guys, especially cool guys, like from the eighties, because the eighties, the 1980s was like the heyday of cool guys in film, you know? And I know that Frank Ebernora has talked about this in the past on his show, the overnight scape, but I always think about cool guys this time of year. Okay. So, so like, what am I talking about? I'm talking kind of about, about like, um, Maybe like you think about like Caddyshack, the movie Caddyshack, you know, you got you got that cool kid in that movie who's just like riding his bike and you know, he's like trying to you know, he takes that job at the Caddyshack in order to just like hit on the girls and, and all that. You know, you got that kind of cool guy. Or you got an adult cool guy. You got like Chevy Chase there. Um he plays this character in Caddyshack who's just like he's a rich cool guy He's this guy who's got all this money but he's still cool you know are you still starting to understand what i'm talking about so so what i thought tonight i i would do just really quick in the second half of the show is i would give like a kind of cool guys oscars okay like i would give an oscar you know how, how every year they do like a best actor oscar and all that stuff i think i'm going to do like a best cool guy okay oscar and, uh, of course, I'm going to have to give you some nominations, you know? So, so, like, what are some nominations here, okay? Let me put on some music and here's some nominations there. Okay. All right. So, the nominations. Oh, gosh. Let me turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> the nominations for uh, Best Cool Guy in a 1980s Movie. Mark Harmon in summer school from 1987 Oh I guess I'm gonna have to do this also. I'm gonna have to play my my Oscar clips, right? You know how on the Oscars they always play clips of people acting okay, so I guess I'll have to do the same all right so so Mark Harmon in in, in summer summer school hold on just a minute I gotta put on a stupid <laughs> I gotta get rid of this ad first. All right, so we got Mark Harmon in summer school.
4: I'm teaching it. No, no way! Put it all the time! Party all the time! You're
3: the Party all, right, all the time! All right, have a seat. See what the lucky winners are. Larry! How's my ass? Where's Larry?
4: Shh. He's, uh, nocturnal. Oh. Okay.
3: Try to keep it down. <laughs> Francis Grim. Oh, uh, don't recall me that. The name is Chainsaw. That's in Black and Decker? It's in Texas Massacre. Oh. Yeah, that's in here. What's in there? They got files. have a house.
0: So Mark Harmon in this movie, he's like a cool guy. He's like a cool teacher, so kind of like me. I'm like a cool teacher with like a Hawaiian Hawaiian shirt and uh, like plastic sunglasses. and He's like the cool teacher teaching summer school.
3: Jerome Watkins Computer said I failed that test The computer made an error I recommend this time I pass You're going to do well, Jerome I can feel it
4: Alan Eakian?
2: Present,
4: sir Four brothers, two sisters, all straight A students What are you doing here?
2: I
0: assume there was some sort of a baby mix-up at the hospital. <laughs> okay, so that's Mark Harmon in summer school from 1987. The first nomination on the uh, on the uh, Cool Guy Oscars for the Midnight Citizen show. All right, the next nomination is Andrew McCarthy in Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, the the yuppie cool guy. All right, let's check out Andrew McCarthy in and, uh, Weekend at Bernie's. One, two. Once we get rid of this ad here. <laughs> so if you remember this movie, it's a film about two business guys who go down to their boss's beach house. Only to find that he's been murdered. But they really want to stay in this beach house, so they pretend that Bernie is still alive so they could stay in the beach house all weekend.
3: We had a great time. Oh, hi, guys. Hi. Love you, darling. Just love you. You know, you could use a little sun. We're going out again tomorrow if you want to go. Lie on the deck. Catch those rays. Don't worry. I'll help myself.
2: Um, he's dead.
3: That's the idea, is it? Cheers. Hey, Bernie. Hi, Bernie. Hey, dude, you need to pump some iron.
2: So, Bernie, what about your Porsche? Have you had a chance to think about my
1: offer? You know, 30,000 is more than decent price for that car. You just think about it, take your time, don't rush into anything. See you later.
2: Harvey, you promised me a review on the front page of the Sunday Times book section. I know,
3: Alice, but he won't bend on it. He says there's no interest in the subject. Matter. No interest
2: Pardon in the subject.
3: What's the book
1: about? Uh,
2: whether Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were secretly married.
1: Eyes, nose, and breasts. How much? little tuck here, a little sand there, a little lift there. Do I
4: need that much? These people. Where did all these people come from? Floating party. Happens every weekend. Like a drink? No, Yeah, I'd love some champagne. Thanks.
2: Hey, Bernie, what a radical party. Gotta move your workouts late tomorrow afternoon, B. The license maid's over for the weekend, and I had to give her your regular time. <laughs> Thanks, Klaus. I got it. See you, Buck. Yeah.
1: Ah, feels good, eh, Bern? You're really loose. never seen you this relaxed before. Keep it up, huh? I gotta go. Duty calls.
2: <laughs> <Is> it? <laughs>
0: Uh you didn't get to see much of Andrew McCarthy as the uh yuppie cool guy in that scene. But that's okay. He's he's cool in that movie. You'll just have to <laughs> You just have to take my word for it, okay? Um his agent didn't send over a good clip. Okay. Uh next up on the uh on on the on the list, we have Kurt Cameron, the Christian cool guy in uh, Growing Pains. <laughs> After we get rid of that ad. <laughs> All right. This is the best of compilation. That's the best I could find.
2: One fascinating aspect of tonight's crowd is its broad age range. And if I'm not mistaken, evidence of this cross generational appeal is right here. Excuse me, a young man, did you attend this evening's concert with your father? Who wants to know? All of the tri-state area. This is Newsline, New York. Boom, the rock, bang.
1: <laughs>
2: sir, is this your son?
1: Hey, the big fella here. Not only is this my son, this is my best buddy.
2: Wow. <laughs> Tell me, sir, isn't it unusual for a father and a son to attend a, a rock and roll concert together?
1: No, no way, no. Not in our family. Not in any family that loves each other, right? Hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Hmm. All right, so that, that, that scene was more about uh, reacting than acting. Uh, yeah, we can just forget about Kirk Cameron. He's not going to win it. All right, Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, you know, somebody that everybody, I know everybody always mentions Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's very cliched. He is a very cool guy from the 80s. He's kind of the quintessential cool guy from the 80s. You know, he's got this sense of serendipity. Nothing gets to him. He's always able to pull these pranks and uh, get adults to uh, look the other way while nobody else seems to be able to. Uh, but again, I think all cliches are cliches for a good reason. This is a great performance by Matthew Broderick in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off from uh, 1986.
4: Hello, may I help you? You can sure as hell try. Hi, I'm Abe Froman. Party of three for 12. <laughs> is there a problem? You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman. The sausage king of Chicago. Yeah, that's me. Listen, young man. Entre nous, I'm very busy here. Why don't you take the kids and go back to the clubhouse? Are you suggesting that I'm not who I say I am? I'm suggesting that you leave before I have to get snooty. Snooty? Snotty. Snotty? Okay, Abe, <laughs> let's go. No, I'm not going anywhere. No, we like to be seated. Listen, young man, either you take the field trip outside, or I'm going to have to call the police. The pol You're going to call the police on me? Yes. Fine. As a matter of fact, I'll call them myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> call police. <sighs> Listen,
0: this will be a- a-
1: <laughs> Give me the phone. I have another call. Huh? Ah. I've had enough of this horsing around. Give me the phone back. You touch me, I yell rat.
4: There's another phone around here somewhere. Find it. Wonderful. I weep for the future.
0: Yeah, Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Just a fantastic uh, performance there, and just uh, the guy that everybody wants to be. I think uh, uh, there there was actually uh, Ferris Bueller inspired. Uh, I think it inspired like a TV show. It also inspired a show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which is about this kid who had like this whole secret lair in his locker. He opened his locker and used to step into it. So Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Uh, Yeah, there was a a cult around uh, Ferris Bueller. I think just everybody wanted to be that guy, you know. Uh, And then finally, the final nomination for the 80s uh, Cool Guy Oscars, Uh, Here at the Midnight Citizen show is Michael J. Fox from anything. Michael J. Fox was amazing, even in Family Ties, where he played that, you know, uh, right wing dork. Um, Michael J. Fox is the kind of, uh, to me, the original cool guy um, from 80s movies. Um, Of course, once we get through this ad, I'll, I'll show you why. I couldn't think of any specific movie, but he was great in Back to the Future, Doc Hollywood, The uh, Secret to My Success, and of course this scene from uh, from Teen Wolf, one of the first movies that I ever remember watching, so there you go.
2: Styles, where the hell did you get this?
4: Hey, Harry's used cars, man. We traded in into Nova, even swap.
1: Even swap? Get out of here. How much extra did you pay for this? It's an even swap. For certain... Consideration?
2: Looky here! (laughs) Hey, surf's up? Yeah, yeah, surf (laughs) is definitely up. Well, let's go pick up Lewis, okay? What?
1: Styles, come on, what is it with Lewis? He's avoiding me, right? He's scaring me. Look, man, we got some fine new wheels, we got some good
4: tunes, and a total disregard for public safety. (sighs)
2: You're right. Okay, let's go. Right, Wait a
1: minute. These waves are mine. We'll all be planning out a room. We're going to take real soon. We're waxing down our surf.
0: So for those listeners who aren't watching live, he's uh, surfing on top of the van, which is just so cool and dangerous. So, of course, if you've never seen Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf is a movie about the... outside, uh, the cool guy that exists in us all. It's a movie that says that we all can be cool. Um, you know, if we, if we really want to, so. And there you have it. The uh, nominations for uh, this year's cool guy Oscars. I don't know if there's going to be one next year. Uh, Cause there hasn't been an eighties cool guy in well, you know, 30 years. So anyway, all right. So once again, those nominees are Mark Harmon in summer school, Andrew McCarthy in Weekend at Bernie's. Kurt Cameron on Growing Pains. He's not going to win. You can forget about him. Uh, Matthew Broderick in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Michael J. Fox in just about anything. And the um, Oscar goes to... They're all winners. Why not? Yeah, they're all winners. Yay. All right. There we go. But Michael J. Fox... Yeah, Michael J. Fox just was uh, so cool. Uh, just that quintessential cool guy. I think because he was just real, he had a very natural, real acting style to him. You could really believe that all of that stuff was really happening to him in the movies, and he would just, like, kind of roll with it, you know? Like, in Back to the Future, he was, he was a bit of a dork in Back to the Future. I think everybody forgets that. He wasn't really that cool in Back to the Future. Uh, at least not to the reality of the of the of the world of Hill Valley, you know. He was cool to us watching him because we got to see, you know, there was a bit of uh, you know dramatic irony going on. You know, we knew his situation. We knew how cool it was, just from the situation of having like a machine where you could go back in time, right? But but everybody in the movie treated him like he was a dweeb, you know. But but he was cool. He always outsmarted Biff, you know and he got his parents back together i mean that, that that to me is a is a pretty cool guy right there so Uh, Yeah, we're rocking and rolling here on the Midnight Citizen Show. I have a couple of uh, comments to respond to, uh, uh, past shows I'd like to uh, get to and address. Yeah, uh, regarding uh, last week's show, uh, Kevin sent me a very thoughtful uh, Facebook message. Uh, regarding what I was saying about Unsolved Mysteries, so I was talking about uh, last week about how I used to love Unsolved Mysteries, and of course it came back on Netflix, um, in a very much watered-down form. I didn't like the format of the new Unsolved Mysteries at all. I mean, they kept the theme music, that creepy theme music, but that was about it. Everything else, there was it was just indistinguishable from any other true crime show that comes out on Netflix now. You know, no narration, no Robert Stack narration. I know because he's dead, but, you know, uh, but no narration. Narration to me, like, makes Unsolved Mysteries, even more so than that theme. But uh, anyway, so Kevin said, hey, I enjoyed your show last week, particularly the Unsolved Mysteries segment. Uh, He says, do you think the reboot could have really leaned into the style of the original show? Uh, seems like it would come off more like a parody. They could have maintained the format, four segments per episode with the host, but the reenactments would have to be upgraded. Uh, What they did with the new show is made the reenactments more stylized. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, I agree with that. I mean, the reenactments are fine. Like, I love the reenactments. Those were fine. Um, And... Kevin was saying that yeah, they could have come off very easily as parody. But that's what I was saying last week was the biggest problem with the Unsolved Mysteries show because obviously these are real mysteries, these are real people's lives, you know, that you're that you're talking about for, for uh TV, for television, you know, for entertainment. People are, are essentially being entertained by uh the exploitation of dead people and grieving families, you know. Um so yeah the show has to be taken seriously. And I think the old unsolved mystery show took itself very seriously. It wasn't trying to do like a campy exploitative show and and indeed as I mentioned last week a lot of people a lot of criminals were actually caught, a lot of cases were solved uh as a result of that show directly, okay? Um you would always hear these uh, instances of people watching the show and then being like, "Oh my gosh, that—that's my neighbor Bob," you know, <laughs> that's Steve from accounting, and they would get turned in, right, just from watching the show. And so, yeah, unsolved mysteries uh, served a purpose back in the day, and I think if you were to bring it back now, uh, in in its previous form, yeah, it would appear as a parody. So I'm not saying like bring it back as it as it once was. But why call it Unsolved Mysteries at all? So that's sort of the paradox of the Unsolved Mysteries reboot. Okay? Is that you've got a show that's using the name of an old show in order to provoke nostalgia in viewers. And that's why the viewers are watching it. You know? But then you just take that and you are making a whole new show out of it. So it comes across as exploitative... Almost even more than the new than the old show, okay? Because you're taking an old title and you're exploiting its nostalgic factor just to give people new stories rather than creating a show of your own. So I think if you took the Unsolved Mysteries name off of the new show as well as the theme, you would not be able to tell that it's uh, Unsolved Mysteries. So yeah, but that that was a good uh, and, and thoughtful comment, uh, Kevin. I I do appreciate it. So. <laughs> So we also had a, um, a comment from Bryn regarding a show I did a couple of weeks ago about the films of 1999. Yeah, I was talking about 1999 uh, and how that was the year that was just absolutely perfect uh, for movies. You just had a slew of fantastic movies that year. Um, has not We haven't had another year for movies um, like 1999 was. And uh, I'll try to give you a list in just a minute of all the movies that came out in 1999, to the best of my knowledge. But uh, Bryn actually uh, sent me a link to a book uh, called Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen. So he actually, uh, there's actually been a book written about this, so I'm not the only one who's noticed this. That 1999 was kind of the best year for American movies. Um, Yeah, probably in my lifetime, maybe ever. I I don't know. Um, But uh, yeah, this is a movie by Brian, or a book, I'm sorry, by Brian Rafferty. So I'll link it in the show notes. Um, So yeah, the, uh, says from a veteran culture writer, modern movie expert, this is a celebration and analysis of the movies of 1999. Uh, In 1999, Hollywood, as we know, exploded. Fight Club, The Matrix, Office Space, Election, The Blair Witch Project, The Sixth Sense, Being John Malkovich, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, American Beauty, The Virgin Suicides, Boys Don't Cry, uh, The Best Man, that's the only one I don't know, uh, Three Kings, Magnolia, okay? So, like, just those are just some of them, okay, right there. Uh, but it was an amazing year for movies. And I, I'm surprised I didn't mention American Pie there. That was a big movie that year. Uh, as well as the Austin Powers sequel. You know, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> a movie that I saw right after The Phantom Menace. So, anyway. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. There's a whole book that's been uh, written about uh, 1999. So, I appreciate that, Bryn. Thank you very much. So, yeah. Those are just some of the comments. And, of course, you can comment and uh, let me know um, on the Midnight Citizen website at the Overnightscape Underground, on Sug O-N-S-U-G dot com. I'd be uh, happy to hear from you. And, of course, watching live, too. If you want to comment and have me uh, talk to you live, I will do that. More than happy to. So, anyway. Okay. All right. So, what I did is I went to the Video Street video store and got a couple of videos for us to watch. So, I'm going to take a break here. And uh, watch these videos. Enjoy. And I'll be back here in just a minute. It's the Midnight Citizen Show.
3: Online is making it easier for people to live, people to live work, and play. Hey Dan, ready for the game? I'm just finishing up here with my new kayaking friends. Kayaking friends on your computer? Yeah, I just got America Online. Sounds great. Listen, I can't go to the game today. What? I've got to send something for my mom's birthday. It's tomorrow. I'll then book plane tickets for our trip next week and my kid's got to go to the library to look up dinosaurs. Hey, we can take care of all that before we go. Yeah, right. Oh, with America Online. America Online can do all that? Yeah. How about sending your mom some nice flowers? All you do is click on Marketplace, we place an order. Call now for America Online, a new way to use your computer to communicate, have fun, and get instant news and information. Flowers are sent. Now let's access the online travel service. How long have you had this? About a week. And it's so easy. All you do is point and click. But how does it work? All you need is a computer and a regular phone line. They send you the software and give you 10 free hours to check it out. Call now for your free America Online Startup Kit and get free software and 10 free online hours. It's everything you need to get online. Plane tickets are ordered. Now, let's look up dinosaurs. What do you think? Compton's Encyclopedia or National Geographic? You get all that with America Online? Yeah, you can read Business Week Online before it hits the newsstand. Update your stock portfolio every 15 minutes with PC Quote. You can even play fantasy football. Call now for 10 free hours of America Online and get instant access to the worlds of sports, finance, computing, and entertainment. Here come the dinosaurs. I saved you a trip to the library. That's great. Yeah, downloading is easy, too. You know, I can even send email on the internet. And of course, there's my personal favorite, live chat. That's how I met my new kayaking buddies. We'll check that out later, after the game. So how do you get America Online? Oh, well, that's easy, too. You just call the 800 number. I gotta check this out.
4: Call 1-800-614-3434 now for your free America Online Startup Kit with free software and 10 free online hours. It's everything you need to get online. So call
3: 1-800-614-3434.
4: This plucky little herbivore spends most of its brief lifespan safely tucked into a complex system of tunnels and burrows just inches below the surface of the belt. But a warm spring day and the enticing aroma of freshly blooming Congo buttercups proves too much. Introducing DivX, the best way to watch movies at home. DivX is a new home video system that offers you the quality of digital pictures and sound the freedom of no returns and no late fees the availability of hot feature titles all the time the flexibility of watching great movies whenever you want the convenience of an affordable home video collection get the picture the DIVX Movie System uses DVD technology to create a brilliant digital picture. Get the sound? The DIVX Movie System delivers spectacular digital sound. Avoid that mad rush to the rental store. No returns. No late fees. One less thing to stress about in your life. With DivX, you're always sure to find the hottest new movie titles from top studios like Disney, Paramount, MGM, 20th Century Fox, Universal, and DreamWorks. DivX is different than a VHS rental because the viewing period doesn't start when you leave the store. It begins when you insert the DivX disc and press play, so you can watch your movie tonight, next week, or even months later. Every DivX movie comes with a two-day viewing period, During that time, you can watch it as often as you like. Reverse, fast forward, skip from scene to scene. And you're always free to pause at any time. It's not just remote control. It's complete control. Each Divix movie costs about $4.50, making it easy and affordable to build a home Divix movie library of your own. Keep the movies you've watched. Buy movies you plan to watch in the future. So, what do you do with the Divix disc after the viewing period ends? Add it to your Divix movie library. Get another two days of viewing for about $3.25 anytime in the future. Convert it to unlimited viewing for a one-time fee. Trade it with a friend. Recycle your disc. The fact is, you can do whatever you want, you own it. Divix gives you all the great features you've wanted in a home viewing system. The quality of digital pictures and sound. The freedom of no returns and no late fees. The availability of hot feature titles all the time. The flexibility of watching great movies whenever you want. The convenience of an affordable home video collection. All for about four dollars Only a dollar more than a VHS rental. Get the quality, the freedom, the availability, the flexibility, the convenience. Get the DivX Digital Movie System. The Divix Movie System.
1: The best way to watch movies at home. <laughs> This little disc holds an entire movie. Looks like a CD, doesn't it? It has a digital picture that is more than twice as clear, twice as sharp, and twice as dynamic as the picture you would get off a VHS tape, along with spectacular digital quality sound. This is the latest innovation in technology called digital video disc, or DVD. Here's a DVD movie dvd movies generally cost fifteen to thirty five dollars and give you unlimited play the same as when you buy a movie from a video store there are over one thousand movies available on dvd but picture and sound are only two reasons why you should consider a dvd player we all love movies but the way we get them can often be a hassle buying is often too expensive and renting can be a terrible inconvenience having to make a trip to the video store Finding that the new movie you want to see is already rented, selecting another one, making a trip back to the store to return it, paying late fees, ordering pay-per-view movies that can't be paused if you get interrupted. It's time to take the next step in the evolution of movies. Great pictures and great sound with none of the hassles. It's time for DivX. The new DivX feature for DVD players revolutionizes the way we get our movies. Here's the DivX version of Tomorrow Never Dies. The DivX DVD costs a lot less. Here's the difference. The DivX disc at 449 includes a two-day viewing period similar to a rental from the video store, but much better. Unlike a rental, you own this disc. The two days doesn't start when you walk out the door and you never have to return it. Your two-day viewing period only starts when you decide to put the disc in your DivX player and hit play. It could be days, weeks, or months after you purchase the disc. You can then watch it as many times as you want. Stop it. Restart it. Fall asleep and watch the rest of the morning. Whatever you want. Because the two days doesn't start until you decide, you have complete control over when you watch it. And remember, you never have to return it. When you're finished, if you like the movie, keep it so that you can watch it later. How can you watch it later? Put it back in your DivX player. Hit play and you get another two days of viewing for 325. You see, the DivX machine is hooked up to your phone line and it dials in twice a month while you're asleep to update your account and charge you for any additional viewings. The system never interferes with your use of the phone. It also receives information about special promotions and announcements. What if it's a movie that you or the family want to watch a lot? For almost all titles, you can purchase unlimited viewing privileges for your players called DivX Silver for a one-time fee. You never have to pay for it again? It's yours to watch whenever you want. Finally, if you don't think you're going to watch the movie again, you can give the disc to a friend, recycle it, whatever you want. But what about availability? Since you buy instead of rent these discs, they should always be available. Just like music CDs, the latest hits are going to be there when you want them. And you can buy them at retail outlets across the country. You can order them over the Internet and have them shipped right to your house. You can even pre-order them and have them hit your house about the same day that they first get to the rental stores. No more extra trips to rent or return movies. With DivX, you have complete flexibility of when you watch and what you watch because a DivX DVD player plays DivX movies, DVD movies, and music CDs. So that's DivX. You get the quality of digital picture and sound, the freedom of no returns and no late fees, the availability of hot movies all the time, the flexibility of watching movies whenever you want, and the convenience of an affordable home video collection. Sound good? Doesn't this remove the hassle of renting movies? If you have any additional questions, please call this number or visit our website or a retail outlet near you. Thanks for taking the time to learn about DivX, the best way to watch movies at home.
0: so much better than DivX now. We look at that now and we look at AOL as if, like, oh, it's so archaic, but so in the past. We were just such children then, you know? But th- this year is 2020, and uh, you know, 2020 is, uh, a year and it's also like a a reference to eyesight you know if you have perfect vision then you're said to have 2020 like that show uh, that was another big celebrity who passed away in the past couple weeks hugh downs used to host 2020 with uh barbara walters everybody used to call her baba wawa you know remember that (laughs) you know Yeah, yeah, 2020 is supposed to be like the year of hindsight, the year that uh, we sort of look back on the mistakes of our past. So I guess Divx was one of them. Nobody liked Divix, you know. Um, I I never had Divx. That was kind of a completely foreign territory to me. Um, You know, I I had a DVD player at the time, so I, I thought that the only kind of way that you could watch DVDs is either by going to the video store and renting them, uh, or you could buy them, but apparently with Divix, uh you could go and you could get these discs that were like they were rentals, but you would buy the rental. And this is why I never got them because this is like totally confusing. I had to watch that video twice the other day just to understand how this worked. Because you know DivX was a technology that totally passed me by. But you would go to you would go to the Circuit City and you would uh, buy a Divix disc and you would take it home and you would put it into this special DVD player that was DivX-enabled, and it had this phone port on it. And the phone port would tell the company, the DivX server, that you were renting the movie for like 48 hours. So it was like on-demand, right? But it wasn't like now where you can just turn on your TV and you have like thousands of preloaded movies into a server that you can just choose from on a whim, and there's no physical media at all attached to it, okay? You know, you would get this, you would get this DivX disc and uh, like for Tomorrow Never Dies, that James Bond movie, and you would tell the DivX server through a phone line, okay, I'm now purchasing this movie for 48 hours. And after the 48 hour uh, period is over, you would no longer be able to access that movie from the server, but you still could. All you had to do is go back in and pay for additional days or you could buy the movie outright. And then you would actually have a physical copy of Tomorrow Never Dies on DVD, okay? But they were also saying that you can recycle the discs by giving them to friends. Hey, I just watched this. Do you want it now? And uh, and they wouldn't have to pay any additional fee from you or anything. Yeah, I understand why that failed because I mean the idea is to make every single person pay for. Well, okay, I guess they would they would take the DVD home and then they would plug it into their divx dvd player that also had the server capability and so then they would buy the movie okay so they would they would pay for it okay see now i'm explaining that i can't even understand it <laughs> okay so this technology failed and i think it lasted for maybe like a few years and there was this other thing called flex play out where you would get the dvd and as soon as you opened it up it would immediately begin to like disintegrate like uh, one of those uh self-destructing messages and mission impossible. Okay. It would begin to disintegrate as soon as you started watching it. So it was like, it was like the Langoliers of DVDs, you know, you would start watching something and it would just like, you know, like a a big black cloud would come in after, after it and just start erasing it, erasing what you've watched, you know? Uh, (laughs) So it's all the, it's, it's always interesting. Just all this technology that we've, um, abandoned or, or, or the technology that's matured, uh, to the point where we just are too, uh, you know, we're, we're too savvy for it now to look, to look back on. And I can't believe we fell for that, you know, and I don't know. I don't think we should be so arrogant because, you know, definitely have no mistake <laughs> or have, have, have no, uh, reservations, have no, make, make no mistake. Uh, we're making a lot of, a lot of stupid decisions here in 2020, Uh, that we're going to be looking back on years from now with with our 2020 vision, you know, and being like, God, dang it. How are we so stupid? (laughs) So... So I hope you guys are all doing well tonight. This has been the Midnight Citizen Show. I've been your host, Mike Booty. Thank you so much for joining me. I am online at mikebooty.com slash the midnight citizen. You can go there and you can find old shows. You can find my new shows. You can find my writing. You'll notice uh, this week that I'm not doing a short fiction. You know, I've done a reading of short fiction on almost every single uh, uh, podcast I've done this summer. Uh, the tales from Viscaga, Alabama, uh, but I did not do the one this week. I just decided to take a week off from it. Um, that's code for, I just didn't finish it in time. So I'll return next week with the uh, tales from Viscaga, Alabama, but you can w- read all of those previous uh, uh, stories at mikebooty.com slash writing. It's up there, you know, so join it there. I'm also online over at the Overnightscape Underground, onsu com. You can see my show as well as all the other great shows on that podcasting network over there. I'm actually getting together with all those guys tomorrow via um, a Zoom meeting. Um, we uh, do these shows every... Uh, Every two weeks, I always look forward to them. You know, we're doing this, uh, it's a show we call the exit ramp where overnightscape hosts who do shows just like this one from all over the, from all over the world, uh, get together. We always, uh, have, uh, it's always hosted by Frank Ebernora who started the overnight scape underground, um, uh, out of New Jersey in 2009. Of course, he's been podcasting there ever since, um, 2003, actually, and um, we always have Peaky River over there in Arizona, or Truth and Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, I should say. We have people like Simon from uh, California, we have people from Chicago, we have people from Ireland, the Netherlands, we have people from Australia sometimes join in. It's a really great time. So we record that, we're recording that tomorrow, and then Frank usually releases it the next day, so uh, so check that out, it's usually like a four hour long show that we, we end up just talking, you know, so I'm looking forward to that uh, tomorrow, so anyway, um, yeah, we've done I think eight or nine of them so far, ever since the quarantine started, so anyway. But yeah, I'm over there at ONSUG.com. I'm also, of course, at Mike Booty or YouTube.com slash Mike Booty where you can see a live stream recording of this show. Check it out. Where else am I? Facebook.com slash The Midnight Citizen. Check me out there as well. Yeah, I'm all over the place, okay? Yeah. I will see you next week. Until next time, I hope you've enjoyed this show. Keep your eyes open. improvised on the spot. Yes and, yes and...